0: You sit and stare at your phone screen. You even scroll a bit for inspiration. As an entrepreneur, you're supposed to post every day, right? You know you need to post something today. But what? What have you had 30 days with the storytelling prompts to give you inspiration? And best part? It's free. What? These thought-provoking prompts will get your creative juices flowing and help you attract and connect with your audience in a more meaningful way. Designed to be used on any platform, from lighthearted posts about your business journey to reflective ones about the why behind what you do, this story prompt calendar makes it easy for you to attract and nurture your soulmate customer so they can convert to sales no matter what your niche. Get your 30-day content calendar now and say goodbye to that blank page stare. Go to www.TheNickDemas.com forward slash 30-day calendar to get yours free. This is the Creative Soulpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Demas. Let's go. Welcome back. Thank you so much for uh, joining us today. I know... That you have lots of options out there. And the fact that you're choosing to spend time with me today means a lot. And I want to thank you so much. It's the sort of we're recording this the week of Thanksgiving. And so I'm thinking about how grateful I am to all of you that have listened over the last hundred and blah, 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 episodes, whatever episode number this is today. I don't even know anymore. <laughs> thank you all so much for being here. And Jenny. Thank you for being here. Welcome to
1: the show. Nick, thanks so much for having me. I love being on your show.
0: Such an honor. So we met through a mutual friend, Tammy Stacklehouse, who also happens to be the one of the executive producers on Invisible, my documentary about fibromyalgia. And she just said, You two need to meet. It was just <laughs> very like direct. You two need to meet. And you know, any friend of Tammy's is Somebody I'm going to pay attention to. She's a dear human and a smart human. And guess what? She was right. We needed to.
1: <laughs> I'm so thankful for Tammy. Speaking of gratitude, you know, I've known her for many years. We share some common interests and experiences. And I, I watched your film when it came out. I cried many times For the people in the film, but also for myself to see myself represented, you know, as someone who lives with fibromyalgia, it's just so powerful. And also being able to recommend that all my loved ones watch it, it's so meaningful. So to have this connection that we share with Tammy is, you know, chef's kiss.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for saying that, truly. Thank you for saying that, because that was really the intention of the film, right? Mm. So that the people with fibromyalgia could feel seen and that it could be shared with their loved ones so that they could have a deeper and better understanding. Because that's really the way change is made in the world. And as a storyteller, that's really, really significant and important. So thank you for that feedback. I really appreciate it. Yeah, sure. (laughs) So, okay. I want the audience to understand a bit more about who you are. So let's start first with, you're a wellness coach for Makers what does that mean? (laughs) What does that even mean?
1: I get that question a lot. And like some people say, well, what do I have to make to be coachable? And it's like, well, makers is intentionally broad because lots of people make lots of things. They make art, they make music, they make beautiful gardens, they make wonderful dinners. Like anyone who cares about using that creative energy to make their world more beautiful, more pleasurable, more interesting, and share that with other people. Those are my people. And so I love as a quilter and jewelry maker and garment maker and writer and avid gardener and you know, passionate home cook, I love those multi-passionate makers, people who really put that vibrant energy out into the world and fill their lives with it. And wellness coaching, you know, there's a lot of people who call themselves a wellness coach. And I think mine is pretty different from most wellness coaches. Most wellness coaches I've encountered focus on uh, mostly on the physical, mostly on exercise, nutrition, those things are important, but we are multidimensional humans and our health is not just one thing. So I work with clients on physical, mental, social, creative, and spiritual wellness. So essentially, if you're a creative being who wants to create big change and big beauty in their lives and want to feel good, feel as well as possible, then I'm
0: your girl. Well, I love, well, there's so many reasons I love that because you sort of just described me in a nutshell, right? So I'm like, <laughs> oh, yes, I'm in, I'm in. You got me. Sold. Because, you know, this is the land of the multi-passionate, multi-hyphenate creative being. And I think as time is evolving, we're seeing more acceptance of that. We're seeing more people Mm -hmm. embrace that in a way that we haven't seen in the past. In Mm -hmm. the past, it's been like, you've got to choose. You've got to do A or B. And I never felt like I fit in A or B. I could do both. I can go to A. Sure, I'll go to A. But I also (laughs) like B through Z. And I kind of want to explore B through Z, including wellness, (laughs) including yoga, including meditation, including creativity, including... Not to mention all the different forms that my storytelling has taken over the years. Uh, yes, yes. I wonder if for you, if you were told be something, and you're like, <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh yes. I mean, I well, so I have had a passion for writing since I was a little kid. I started training as a journalist in high school and got a bachelor's in science and journalism, a bachelor's of science and journalism, and I set out to become a journalist, to speak truth to power, to tell people's stories, to give voice to people who were silenced in some way. I was so passionate about that. And so for a long time, I did think that that meant I had to only be a journalist. And as my career has evolved over and over and over again, sometimes I feel really uncomfortable because I'm like, wait, am I really, a, am I a real journalist now? Wait, 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 am I, wait, am I doing it right? And I have been working so hard to break out of that shell because the reality is, even though I'm not a full-time journalist anymore, I do some reporting, I do storytelling, I do help people share their voices, I do activism, so I am still using all of those qualities that made me a journalist, boy, that curiosity, which is such a big part of coaching, I use all those skills now, but I do such completely different work than what I thought I was going to be. And I'm so happy about it. I'm so glad I feel liberated to do it because if I had tried to stick to that same career path and never waver, I think I would have been super dissatisfied and and frustrated and probably resentful of the work at some point. So I love feeling free to use those same skills and, and passions and just do something that has more personal meaning.
0: Yeah, I, I get that because I often think that for me, everything keeps leading me to the next right thing mm-hmm. that it builds on each other. And it's in a nonlinear fashion because as creative beings, we're nonlinear. Let's oh, be yeah. honest. Our, oh, yeah. it, it's often like a spiral or a circle and not. So here's the next step. And then the next yeah. step, and then you hit the next step. That doesn't really work for a creative soul.
1: No, I think mine's like the roller coaster that you see where it goes upside down and it goes backwards and it stops and it drops you from really high in the air. And that, like that's like, all oh, that's been my path. You know, when I was a kid and I first started writing, I wrote a novella between the ages of 11 and 13. I was going through some really intense, difficult stuff. And that was a way for me to process that. And I think that was the first time I really thought about storytelling as a way to heal And at the same time, I was in junior high, and all these kids would come to me for advice. And I became known as the Mm. kid that other kids would go to for advice. Like, I don't know if you've seen the TV show Sex Education on Netflix.
0: I haven't, no.
1: Oh, it's delightful. It's a British show about the son of a sex therapist who becomes like an amateur sex therapist at school for his classmates. Oh, my gosh. that's where it starts and then it kicks off and it's delightful. So I I really felt like I was a tiny psychologist in school and I'm I'm glad I didn't pursue that as a full-time career but I'm still telling stories, I'm still using my creativity for healing and I'm still helping people through my work. So it's a, in a funny way I followed that curve even though it did loop de
0: loops and all kinds of craziness. Yeah, I think a lot of us that ended up as coaches and that ended up like chose to be that's a strange way of putting that ended up there no we <laughs> chose to be there have similar journey in the sense of being the kid that everyone came to for advice mm-hmm. you know just sort of we have this natural ability or openness to be to receive mm-hmm. and reflect for people
1: yeah yeah
0: so at what point in your journey then did the chronic illness come into play? Because you mentioned that early on Mm -hmm. and I, I would love to hear how you were diagnosed and sort of what happened there for you. How did it shape your life?
1: Oh, it really, (laughs) I mean, my life is so utterly different than I could have predicted because of it for hard reasons and for great reasons. So I grew up in pretty gnarly circumstances and I can see that looking backward now that a lot of my experiences taught me ways of coping that were not healthy, taught me anxiety, you know, I have a genetic predisposition for anxiety and depression. So by the time I was in college, I was always I was already throwing my back out. So the stress was so intense, you know, and I was like a double major out of really good school and, you know, did all the extracurriculars, all that. You know what I'm talking about. I'm sure a lot of y'all listening know what I'm talking about. So I was already throwing my back out and already having headaches and all that stuff. But once I got into my career after college, it was about age of 24. I started having all these different symptoms, pain, fatigue, gastrointestinal stuff, panic attacks, which I didn't understand were panic attacks. I thought I was having heart issues. You name it, I had the symptom. And so I started trying to find answers. And I went to multiple doctors. I went to three different doctors who gave me the same diagnosis. I think I thought if I found the right doctor, they'd tell me that the diagnosis was wrong. But everyone was like, you definitely have fibromyalgia. This is what you have. And so, luckily, you know, a lot of people who get diagnosed with fibromyalgia. It takes them years and years to get a diagnosis. And I feel really lucky that it only took me about a year to really get a firm, confirmed diagnosis. And I pushed really hard for care. I didn't settle for inadequate care. I'm sure people thought I was quite pushy. And as a 25 year old woman whose doctors were mostly older men, it was really uncomfortable for me to advocate for myself. I hadn't really learned. Let's just say I had some family drama baggage that was making it more difficult for me to stand up to you sure. know, authority figure, male authority figures. But I, I pushed and pushed, and I wound up at a really great rehabilitation hospital here in Chicago. And they started me on a path of a really comprehensive care plan. So I received chronic pain therapy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, medication, Relaxation therapy. They taught me about nutrition. They taught me about sleep. It was really a comprehensive program. And so I have pursued that both with that organization and fighting other care providers over the years. But yeah, so it's been 26 years. So it's more than half my life now since I got diagnosed. And um, it's been hard. There have been long periods where I could barely walk more than a couple blocks. If I'd go to the grocery store, I'd have to stop partway and sit down and just hang out until the pain got. I'm going to say low enough that I could finish the trip, but that shopping trip would knock me out for a day. You know, I felt really discounted and discriminated against when I would speak up and and ask for accommodations at work, for example. And eventually I did have to leave the full-time, you know, kind of, corporate working world and go freelance because I could not manage my health while working at a regular day job.
0: Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah, it really does. I want to ask you about, because I know for me, and it's, if you watch the film, spoiler alert, I get diagnosed. (laughs) You see it on my face, Mm. what's going on in the film. But there's this moment, the internal life When that happens, that's external, all that Mm -hmm. stuff that you were talking about. What was the work that you had to do to come? Because it was hard for me to accept Mm -hmm. that I had Mm -hmm. fibromyalgia. Mm -hmm. I kind of was still, even though it's on camera and I'm doing it and I'm going through the motions, there was a part. I was like tears. I said tears for my mom when it was really tears for me. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: I couldn't like I didn't want the label. I couldn't accept it. It It's like you said, you went to three different doctors. And you kept getting the same diagnosis, yeah, at what point did it shift that you could accept it?
1: Ah, uh, that's a great question, Nick. That's the heart of so much of my work is that acceptance work. so it took me I would say it took me about seven years to actually get to a place where I fully accepted it and when I say acceptance, I don't mean it's a destination I got to, I mean I got to a place where I could practice acceptance day in and day out. So um, because my acceptance wavers, I mean, there are days where I just want to scream or I will scream because I got to get it out, you know. Um, But yeah, it took me about seven years to finally get there. It was just really, really tough. And at the beginning, I did things like, okay, here's an example. I'm sure doctors have told you this. Regular movement exercise is so good for your body. And I had been a competitive swimmer when I was younger. So I started going to the Y every day on my lunch break and swimming as hard and fast as I could, because I thought the harder I worked, the faster I was going to get better. You know? Yeah. And what I did was I hurt myself in the process Mm because I just flared myself up really badly. Yeah. So I had to go through years of that before I finally got to a place where I was like, look, girl you got to make friends with this dumb illness. (laughs) You have to think of her as a friend who's trying her best and is really struggling. And so how would you take care of a friend who's really struggling? What would you say? What would you do? And I started to really think of fibro as that friend. And it was like, yeah, sometimes I don't want that friend around. She's a drag. And sometimes I don't want that friend around because she's needy or whatever, But also she's hurting. She's struggling. She's in a system that does not work for her. She's doing her best. So it was at that point when I started to think of it and in that framing that I really started to calm down and breathe and say, okay, I'm going to work with what I got. I'm going to work with the right people, but I'm also going to take naps and I'm going to study the illness and try to understand it. But I'm also going to make time for fun. Like I'm going to work with it.
0: I love that. Make the friend. I talk about that a a lot in my coaching too, about Mm. honestly, about any part, dark part of the soul Mm -hmm. of making the, making friend, making the friends with, you know, any part of the self that you don't necessarily enjoy, like want making them your friend. Yeah. You know, you you have to maintain this sense of optimism in some Mm -hmm. ways around being healthy around what you're doing, but how do, how do you balance that with like making sure that you're not, like you said earlier, avoiding the feeling.
1: Yeah. You said, "I want
0: to scream." Oh, well, I'm gonna actually scream. Like, how do you avoid yeah. it not being like toxic positivity <laughs> or 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 spiritual bypassing? Yeah. You know how do how do you how do you walk that line?
1: Yeah. Well, so I journal. I pay attention to the feelings that are coming out. I have a lot of wonderful friends and a terrific partner who I can say anything to. So Mm -hmm. I make sure that I have people that I can just be like, this fucking sucks. I can't stand it. I need, you know, like I need, I need people that I can be real with. And that's part of the work for me is letting myself say those things, letting myself say, I hate this. I hate my life in this moment. I can't believe this happened to me. This isn't fair. Like we need to say those things sometimes, but I don't want to live in that space full time. And so I kind of wake up every day and meditate and kind of get myself centered and think about like, how am I going to work with what I got today? Mm -hmm. And it's that conversation with that friend that I'm saying, how you doing? I do a little body scan. How you doing? Oh, this hurts and this hurts and I'm tired and this is happening. Okay. All right. What do you need? And it's really like, I have an inner dialogue where I'm asking those questions and I do tend to think about the young people in my life and how I would respond if they told me what they needed. So I have an 11 year old bestie. And if Finley asked, you know, told me he wasn't feeling good, how would I treat him? And I try Mm -hmm. to treat myself in the same way. Or I think of my three year old niece. And if she had some issue that she was going through, I want to, I want to help her feel her best. So how can I be that same way with myself, you know? But it's really about staying open to that dialogue. Now, I think that some people will watch you do that. I definitely, okay, I had a comment on one of my YouTube videos the other day where someone told me that my positivity was nauseating and insensitive. And I thought, well, thanks for giving me the comment, you know, and at first I was kind of hurt. And then I thought, I don't know what that person's going through. Like, I can yeah. imagine what it was like for me. So just tried to, I try, I replied and said, I'm sorry that this isn't right for you at this
0: moment. I hope you find what you need. That's really well said because I can, I can tell you having put myself out there <laughs> full force <laughs> in the, in the community, in the chronic, you know, illness community, i've gotten a lot yeah. of lack. Yeah. a lot of pushback uh you and me a both a lot of negative comments a lot over over and for me it's been a very short time frame in terms of acceptance mm-hmm. and mm. but i think that I've always have any way just by the nature of who I am as a human walking the planet. So mm-hmm. I've come to this acceptance of honoring myself first mm-hmm. in that situation. Like you said, you, you know, you had to honor you, you took your breath. I have a conversation with my inner child be like, Hey, you're okay. Little Nick. It's okay there. They, this is their <laughs> stuff. This isn't yours. Let's let let's. And then I respond. Sometimes it's a very kind Thoughtful response like yours. Mm-hmm. Other times, if it's nasty and rude in a way, I'll just delete, ban. Goodbye. Sure, sure, sure. And, in, and in other times, I, if it's somebody who's doing it merely for the sake of doing it or sort of trolling, I mm-hmm. love to troll back. <laughs> <laughs> I often will say something like, "Thank you so much for the algorithm help." Oh, that's delightful. Yes. Because if they say any other thing again, they'll realize they're actually helping you. <laughs> There
1: there was a person, when I first started doing advocacy work around chronic illness, there was a person who created an entire website about what an asshole I was.
0: Oh, wow. (laughs) It
1: was amazing. So when I first saw it, I was horrified. And then I looked at my traffic, and she was sending me so much traffic. And so whenever someone reminds me that this website still exists, I say thank you. That's yeah. wonderful. I love how she's helping me.
0: Absolutely. Yes. Because <laughs> it's polarizing and polarizing yeah. content can actually sometimes help you. It can. Yeah. And nobody's ever going to be for everyone. Oh, period. Yeah. Not if even possible.
1: Yeah. If it's, we're making everybody happy all the time, then we're not making ourselves happy because we're not being honest.
0: Yeah. You know? And, and, and for me, in terms of like being a storyteller, a filmmaker, then I'm not making art oh yes 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 art actually provokes art makes one think that's what art does and so the fact that I'm living I'm the living art in the art I'm going to provoke I'm going to and so I look at my entire business in that same way anytime Mm -hmm. I'm being and with my students because I teach a lot about storytelling so with my students it's like you're the living art yeah you are the story so be okay being the guide or in the story you know
1: How do you think you got to where you could do that? How, what, what got you to that place? Yeah.
0: Absolute practice and a really good therapist and, (laughs) you know, digging into these, these personal stories within Mm. me and really unlocking the yoga practice, the meditation practice, Mm -hmm. the tools. Mm -hmm. And I know you've got a lot of tools too Mm -hmm. that you use. And I know, like, I know quilting is one of them. Yeah. How does that help you? Or how do you find your own sense of acceptance? Or what is that? What is quilting? Explain this to me because I'm not a quilter. (laughs) Explain to me. I'm not a maker. I'm a maker in a different way, but I'm not a quilter.
1: Well, quilting is all about taking fabric and cutting it into small pieces and then sewing it back together again. (laughs) It's ridiculous, it's a weird hobby. It's also about storytelling. It's also about celebrating variety. I'm a person who is obsessed with variety. I have Fiesta Ware dishes in every color. I have a hundred bottles of nail polish lined up on a little rack on my wall in the bathroom. I mean, I I like variety. And quilting allows me to take hundreds of different fabrics and cut them up and put them back together in a way that stimulates me. So. Quilting, as it turns out, gives me an abundance, like just an overflow of color and texture and cuteness. And I create things that bring people comfort or make people think. And in the process, I'm moving my body. So I'm physically getting up to iron things or sitting down to sew things Mm. or sewing on a machine or sewing with my hand and then i have a quilt guild that i belong to so i'm going to meetings with people and i'm making friends and building community and i'm going to retreats where where all these artists are together making and supporting each other and having those deep conversations and so i have those friends who get it if i go to retreat and i'm really struggling they'll do yoga with me you know they they're seeing the fullness of my life and so quilting has brought me this enormous fullness just like a whole other dimension to my world. And it's pretty. <laughs> it just makes me smile. And I've made so many quilts as gifts. And so I'll I'll give you an example. So I'm working on a quilt right now. It's through a challenge of my guild. The challenge is called take the shirt off my back. And what we're doing is we're taking old button down shirts that we get from Goodwill or whatever, and we cut them up and we make quilts out of them. So I'm using it as a healing moment. So there's this phrase that someone said to me when I was a kid that was incredibly devastating and has stuck with me my whole life. And after years of trauma therapy, the last few years, I'm finally, I've worked through it. I'm ready to like liberate myself from this terrible idea. I'll tell you what it was. I'm like dancing around it. But someone said to me as a child, I would kill you right now if I thought I could get away with it. Mm. and I knew that they meant it, and so I'm getting chills as I say it. So the challenge, the quilting challenge, is about the environment and using materials that already exist so that we're using what we have, but also the idea of I would kill you right now if I thought I could get away with it is really how I feel about so many corporations on the planet that are just, like, really destroying the planet. Yeah. So – I'm working on this quilt that brings in themes of home and environment and strength and resilience, like turning something truly devastating into something beautiful and comforting. So I'm making this quilt all about that, which is kind of a why I'm really stepping outside of my usual work with it, but it's a really interesting challenge. And so quilting can be so healing in that way. And in many, many, many other ways.
0: I mean, you just described art in a nutshell. (laughs) You're creating a piece of art.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it will not be a bed quilt. It will be a smaller piece that will hang on the wall. But I also had this idea just now as we're talking, my gosh, because I'm looking at a rug that's circular and the colors of the quilt are like planetary colors, the blues and greens. Maybe I make it as a rug and people can
0: walk on it. Nick. Oh my gosh, because right before we started this podcast, you were mentioning needing a rug on the floor. I
1: know. Okay, I'll keep you posted.
0: (laughs) Okay, please do. (laughs)
1: It's in progress. I have a couple months to make it, but that's the thing about quilting is it can be just delightful and cute and pleasant and like comforting and it doesn't have to have deep meaning, but also you can make things that shock people, that evoke deep, difficult Or deep joyful emotions, you can make people think, you can make people feel. And I think that a lot of people don't think of quilting like that. Like when I first was introduced to quilting, I had a friend who said I should do it. And I thought, oh, everything's like brown (laughs) and it's old and it's boring. Mm -hmm. And she was like, you're ignorant. You have no idea what
0: you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, you get the visual of Granny, you know, like, creating something from the seventies. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's sort of the visual that you get, but the way you describe it is truly as an art form.
1: Yeah, it really can be. And you know, as I think about it, the thing about quilting that's so similar to resilience and acceptance practice is there's a lot of improv in it. So you're working with what you've got. You might cut things up and they go wrong. And then you say, Oh, wait a second. That's no, I did that all wrong. Okay. How am I going to make this work? You know, so it's really like a yes and, like a yes. I cut that up, and it is like, oh, they, I made those squares too small, and I'm gonna sew them back together again. Like we we work with what we have, you know.
0: Yeah, because even in, in this conversation, you are like, oh, maybe it's a rug, which yeah. has not been anywhere on the radar. It's not like you set out to make a rug <laughs> for the floor, right? Right, right. That's an acceptance. That's a yes and. That's an that's absolutely a, that's improv rule. Yes yeah. and.
1: Yes and. So I yes and. So much of my life. And that has also been such a big part of acceptance practice because, so I think you asked about like, how do I not be toxically positive, And I'm right there with you. Like another way to think about it is if I, if I saw difficulty in my life or I felt difficult feelings and I said, no, and I pushed them aside that, you know, no, I'm just going to be super happy and cheerful and joyful and not acknowledge these terrible feelings. Well, that's not healthy. That's toxic positivity. Mm -hmm. Some people will turn that into spiritual bypassing. But when we recognize those difficulties and we say, okay, yes, yes, I'm furious today. Yes, I'm really angry. Yes, I'm having trouble walking. And what am I going to do with that? And it's that moment that keeps us from being toxically positive, but we are allowed to bring in some positivity and problem solving.
0: Yeah, because otherwise you're just wallowing. Oh, right? yeah. You wallow in the wallow in the wallow oh. rather than doing something mm-hmm. to shift out of it. So, then how did you have the fortitude or the insight to take and accept this chronic, go beyond accepting mm-hmm. this chronic illness and become a coach? to become this wellness coach for makers. Like how how did that transition happen for you?
1: (laughs) Well, I did for about 15 years, I did chronic illness advocacy work and it turned into my full-time work. And I did it under the name Chronic Babe. So there's a lot of stuff on the internet about me as Chronic Babe and I loved it. And it was fun and it was like jubilant and silly. And at the same time, I always thought of myself as a sick person. I'm a sick person, I have chronic illness, and those things are true. But I was almost adding like a layer of extra feeling like that came with that label. And a few years ago, I was making really big changes. I was a couple of years into sobriety. I was a couple of years into living in a house for the first time since I was a child and so I was my environment was quieter and I had more nature around me and I was really realizing that I had deeper healing work to do. I think it was the first time I felt safe enough to say, I think that some stuff inside me is like so deeply messed up that I need more intense help. And I had a wonderful therapist who said, you need more intense help. (laughs) I love you. And I don't have the capacity to help you. So I found a trauma therapist and I really worked on my stuff for a couple of years there, two Mm -hmm. and a half years of like really, really deep, intensive work. And a thing I really realized about myself in that work was that I didn't want to think of myself as a sick person anymore. So what I mean when I say that is that as I did the trauma therapy, some of my fibro symptoms started to go away. And I think that's because I was able to release a lot of really difficult feelings and and acknowledge a lot of memories and process them safely, which I'd never been able to do before. And my body was like, oh, we're doing this now. Okay, we're all right. And I, I started to feel better. I started to be able to exercise regularly. My mental health was really improving. And I thought I... I don't want to think of myself as a sick person. I want to think of myself as a well person who has some health things. And it's a subtle shift, I think. But I see you shaking your head. Yeah.
0: No, I'm like, that is not subtle.
1: Uh, Yeah.
0: That is is significant.
1: It's, yeah. Have you been there too? Have you felt that way or?
0: Like that's what you were witnessing on camera. Yeah, that's that was part of the me not accepting was like I am not taking on this label of being a sick person. Yeah, I was already healthy. I say I'm healthy enough in the film. Yeah, I was already doing all the things sort of naturally. I was naturally over just because I was a dancer because of Um, my years of being a yogi. Okay, I was naturally doing all this course correcting. Yeah, by the time I got my diagnosis, I was like. I'm not accepting this uh, yeah. yet. I was accepting it. It's like, like mm. let's talk about acceptance. Yeah. I was like, yes. And I'm not going to call myself somebody with <laughs> fibromyalgia. I'm not going to call myself a sick human. I'm yeah. going to call myself somebody who has some, an issue.
1: Yeah. And the
0: way in which I approach this is not going to be from sickness, but rather from mm-hmm. health.
1: And labels matter and words matter. And I don't want people to get the wrong idea. So I agree, you know, like early in my career, I did, social service work in the community of people with disability. And at the time in the 90s, we were really guided to say people with disabilities because we want to put the person first. Yeah. And that thinking has changed a lot actually because a lot of people with disabilities want to say I'm disabled because they're not afraid of that label. They're taking ownership of that.
0: And I think that's a shift too, culturally mm-hmm. that's happened, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know, even fibromyalgia It was this, you know, deep, dark secret that people could talk about And so you needed to step out and say, I have fibromyalgia. Yeah. But I also think now that's shifting. Mm -hmm. And those of us with it can say, I'm a person who happens to have fibromyalgia. Yes. Because the need is different.
1: Yes, for sure. So like when I was started my advocacy work and through all those years that I was doing it, the funding wasn't there. The recognition wasn't there. Half of the time I told people I had it, they would say, well, that's not real, you know? Mm -hmm. So I had to get up and shout about it. I did performance art about it. I saved all my pill bottles and all my friends' pill bottles for two years. So I had one of those giant, I don't even know how big, it's a Ziploc bag that's like three feet by a foot and a half, you know, that you put all your sweaters in under your bed or whatever. So I carried a bag that size full of pill bottles around Chicago. I took the bus with it. I took it to the laundromat. (laughs) I took it to the grocery store, and I had someone photograph me. And then I did this performance piece on stage with those photos behind me where I talked about what it was like to feel invisible and yet to carry this giant burden And it was like, I had friends at that show who were like, I had no idea. And I'm like, I've had this for like 12 years. How have you had no idea? I've been screaming about this for years. And that work is still valid. And some people still- It still needs
0: to happen. I'm not saying it's done by any means.
1: No, for sure. We still need all that. But for me, what I needed to feel healthier was to think of myself as a well person who's managing some stuff that I- don't love but is with me. So it's not it's still acceptance but it's using different language. And that and that was when I stopped doing my advocacy work because I felt like I had I had done so much of it and I was I was at risk of super I really was like burnt out and I was really at risk of resenting the the people I was trying to help. And and so making that shift it was in it was in 2019 I made that shift away from advocacy work and I said I still want to help people. I will still for sure work with people with chronic illness, but I want to focus on the wellness aspect. And I had a friend, my best friend is a coach. I had a coach who I loved and I thought, I think this coaching work is for me because it includes, it requires curiosity, empathy, a sense of adventure, (laughs) vulnerability, connecting with people like all these things that I love that are what drew me to journalism in the first place. Right. So I decided I was going to become a wellness coach to be real, though, actually, at first, I thought I was going to become a creativity coach. And I, I just couldn't find the kind of training that I wanted that I felt like was going to get me there. So I thought, well, I'm bringing my own creativity to the mix. I'll be I'll be a wellness coach who has a creative focus. So <laughs>
0: Well, I'm giggling because you know, I uh was a creativity coach when I started and I go in and out of it in many ways, mm-hmm. but it's still every it's all creative. So oh, we're, yeah. we're we're still creativity coaches.
1: Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, and I think it's you know, again, it's just a reminder. We got to work with what we've got. We need to be ready to kind of pivot and coming into coaching because I've experienced so much like crazy powerful coaching from people. I wanted thorough training. I wanted a community of coaches that I could lean on and get help from. And that was important to me. And then the pandemic happened. (laughs) So I was really glad I was learning how to use Zoom because as it turned out, we did all our training on Zoom. And, you know, the rest is history. I've been coaching people for a few years now, and I love it so much. I love seeing the enormous potential for change and then watch that happen in people awesome yeah Yeah. and I love working with my chronic illness friends because I get it like I really when they we speak each other's languages we can talk about how many spoons we have and Mm. we can say a phrase and I understand like years of history and experience behind it so yeah yeah
0: yeah beautiful Mm. I I mean I think it's really incredible how you have taking what you were given, ultimately, mm. that you didn't choose, mm-hmm. and came to this place of acceptance around it, not only accepting it, but honoring it, mm. and then passing on that to other people. Mm. And so that that cycle continues of acceptance, growth, rebirth in people, and that that it's not the wallow. It's not, yeah. not constant. While you may be in pain physically, it's yeah. not sitting in it emotionally, and not making the choice, that's where the choice comes in for me. Because you didn't choose fibromyalgia, you didn't Mm -hmm. choose a chronic illness, but you can choose how you are going to react to that.
1: Mm. Yes. I was just talking with a client about this the other day. We were talking about doing a progressive body scan, and how do we learn to pay attention to the signals our body is sending us? And then she said, but what if what if my body sends me some signals that I don't like and I haven't noticed them. And so I was fine, but now I notice them and I don't really want to deal with them. And I was like, that's a great question. So the thing is information gives you choices. And so mm-hmm. you can assess your body's signals and then you get to decide what you do with that. Just because your body says I'm hurting in this way or that way, doesn't mean you have to steep yourself in that all day. It gives you information. So then you get to choose and you can choose to say, if you want to, I'm going to have a pity party today. Or you can choose to say, I'm going to drink some water and take a nap and put some lotion on or whatever you need. Or you could choose to say, wow, I'm really feeling so sad that I realize now I've been hurting and I've been suppressing it. I need to talk with someone and get help with that. Like it gives you options but yeah. it's it's better to know because your body wants to help you, your body wants to give you signals that help you. And if you're ignoring them, eventually your body, trust me, I know, eventually your body will scream at you and force you to slow down and force you to make changes, you know?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. will. And I've been in all, all three of those scenarios that you just mentioned. Yes. I've had pity parties. Yes. Oh yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. I've, I've needed to go into deep trauma therapy. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and even now, uh, if I'm feeling like my body is sending me signals that I am getting run down by, if, if I notice that there is a little pain indication going up the notch, I stop and I go and be like, okay, we're going to go and we're going to lay in bed. Yeah. We're going to go work from bed this afternoon,
1: mm-hmm. which
0: is honestly a privilege of having a coaching business is I can be like, I'm going to go lay down in bed today and I'm going to work from my bed. Yeah. It's delightful. I, I definitely, I'm so thankful that
1: I was able to go independent all those years ago and make that transition. Because it has allowed me to take care of myself to do exactly that, to take a nap in the middle of the day if I need to to work until 8 PM to the next day, if I need to, to, you know, to work in my jammies, I don't have shoes on right now. I don't either. (laughs) I haven't put on makeup today. I'm just very cash. And like
0: me either.
1: That's so there you go. So that it works for me. And then maybe on a day you or I want to put on makeup and we want to wear heels and we want to do our thing. You know, I don't, we want options. So I love, I love that. And I love, I love helping clients discover that they can choose that kind of stuff for themselves, that it's okay. Like you asked earlier about like, did I know always what I was going to be or like, did I do things that people said I should do? And like, yes, I did. But when I, when I veered off that path, I felt so free. I felt like I started to feel like myself, you know, and I love helping clients see that they have, choices, that they have agency. I have a client right now I'm working with on this concept of agency. So she's asking herself all day throughout her day, what, what do I need to feel a sense of agency in this moment to know that I'm in charge of this moment? And the change in her is starting to be really big, and it's cool to watch.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love that. That's like my favorite part of being a coach. Like yeah. that, that that moment where you see you see it, you see that seed that's been planted that it begins yeah. to sprout. That's like such a great moment. Okay, speaking of choices, uh-huh. will you choose to take the final three?
1: <gasps> the final, final three questions. I'm so excited. Okay, yes, I Rapid choose. Rapid
0: fire final three questions. Okay, and the first on
1: one. <laughs> first one.
0: You did choose, yes? I I I just assumed you were going to choose. I'm like, I choose. did. I did <laughs> choose.
1: I said, lay it on me. <laughs> okay, good.
0: <laughs> the first is, who would you like to collaborate with that you have not collaborated with yet? I can pick anyone. Anyone? Dead, um, alive, doesn't matter. Bjork. Bjork. <gasps> Nobody said Bjork Yeah.
1: Oh, I'm obsessed. She has a new song out today with uh Rosalia. And it is very sensual and powerful, and I'm so into it i would I would love to do something with Bjork. She is the person that I feel most connected to i mean besides my partner <laughs>
0: <laughs> she's well, but just, you you already collaborate with your partner
1: i do i do she's so weird and so joyful and so rageful and so she's just like everything is pure with her it, I feel like there's no I know this isn't a rapid fire answer
0: <laughs> It's okay they never are I know. We, we, I, I say they're going to be rapid fire and then we ended up to, we you know right. it goes off on two two these tangents You're good. Yeah 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 but she's
1: the the purity of her voice first of all just makes my heart explode but her aesthetics and the way she brings textiles and art and and cinema into her music and the way that she weaves it all together and how much she loves collaborating with people. I think that it is just like magical. So 100%
0: Bjork. Awesome. Next question. Mm -hmm. What is your next great manifestation? What are you creating next? I feel like I need to do the Jeopardy thing. Do, 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 do. do, Well, I wasn't sure if
1: I wanted to say it out loud. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Say it out loud. Speak
0: it out, girl.
1: Okay. I'm going to write another book. I've written one book before called Chronic Babe 101 How to Craft an Incredible Life Beyond Illness. And now, and know, after I finished it, I thought I'm never doing that again. That was almost impossible. It's been six years now, and I can't believe it, but I think I'm going to do it
0: again. You're ready to do it again. <laughs> you know that I said that after the first documentary, I was never going to do one again. And then I did a second one and it's like, I'm never doing that again. Yeah. You know. So when's your next, what's your next
1: documentary going to be? about? Yeah, I, I
0: don't know. I'm still in that. <laughs> I'm not doing that again thought, <laughs> but I might be writing a book. That's a whole other story. Oh, okay. Cause I well, have written one. I've written one before as well. So, okay. you know, okay. Final question. Mm. Fill in the blank. I am.
1: Oh, wow. That's so many things. It's actually starting to make me cry to think about it. This conversation has been so meaningful. Thank you.
0: You're welcome. Thank you.
1: Courageous. Strong. Love. Expansive. Unpredictable.
0: (laughs) Peaceful. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. You know what I love about your answer? It's mm. different than most people. Oh. Is that a lot of people give me one word. Oh. <laughs> and in, in traditional, multi passionate, multi hyphenate, multi dimensional <laughs> way, you're like courageous, <laughs> peaceful. I'm so many things, Nick. That's I cannot so be things. contained. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, that's. Listen, anybody can answer this question however they want, and I would not judge someone for giving a one word answer. But yeah. I feel like for me, that's impossible because I've experienced so many different things. I have been so many different kinds of human. And to deny that is like, oh, I would never, if someone truly was like, you have to give a one word answer, I would think I would just say, I am me.
0: Well, you'll you'll appreciate this. I actually got this question from my friend Tanya Burrell when she interviewed me, and then I asked her if it was okay to to, mm. to use it. Mm-hmm. And when she interviewed me, I said, "Period." Oh,
1: oh, oh, that is so great! That's such a Buddhist answer. I love it. <laughs> 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 Oh, that was, you just clapped with one hand, Nick. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like,
0: mic drop, thank
1: <laughs> Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Okay.
0: Anything that would make this conversation feel full or complete that you want to share?
1: Mm. Well, again, I just want to express my gratitude. It's so fun to get to know you and, and get to hang out like this. And I I just, I really hope that people listening feel a sense of permission to be their full complex like revolutionary selves that there is always room for change and growth there's always there's always another choice there's always another option to play with you know mm. so maybe if if people could leave just remembering yes and I think that would really get them down a path (laughs) toward greater acceptance and improvisational living would be delightful.
0: Taking it back to acting school, taking (laughs) it back to acting school for me. Yes. And Jenny, thank you so much. How can everyone find you on the socials? Oh, thanks, Nick. I am coach
1: Jenny Grover everywhere. So my website, Instagram, Facebook, all the things. So it's Jenny with an I, J-E-N-N-I and Grover like Sesame Street. So coach Jenny Grover.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing your journey, your story, and for true acceptance of who you are today, who you'll be tomorrow, and who you were yesterday. I really do appreciate you being a great guest today. Be sure, my friends, to DM. Jenny and me both with your takeaway from today's episode. I know there's going to be some great ones from this episode. I can just tell. So be sure to DM us and let us know and leave us a review. Five stars. How subtle was that? (laughs) Because it really does help us get this podcast out to more people. So to spread the love and the message. Thank you so very much. Again, have a great day. See you next time.